0: Our scripture reading for today is 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 15. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is immortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your conscience." We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 15.
1: Good morning. If you can take your insert in the worship folder and look at it, you'll see something you probably have never seen in the life of your attendance in this church. You'll notice there's one question. Just one question. Just one question with five answers. And before you think we'll be done in 10 minutes, which is normally one question and five answers, it's going to take a little bit longer. Because we're in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We're in the last few verses of the chapter. In the last few verses of the chapter, there's a debate really whether or not Paul is just uh, concluding and summarizing chapter 4 or or whether he's summarizing chapters 1 through 4. But he's summarizing, at least we can say, chapter 4, which dealt with Abraham and how Abraham is very similar in faith to us how Abraham believed in the promises of God and how we, as believers today, believe also in the promises of God. So, we have one question. Five answers. And maybe if we go fast, we'll be done in ten minutes. Nah. Nah. Okay. Okay. There was a uh, war back when there was, uh, when railroads, the fastest way to travel, there was a war in in Canada uh, when uh, his name was Crowfoot. He was the chief of the Blackfoot uh, Indian nation. And they were trying to make peace with Crowfoot, the Canadian nation was, and they, uh, they gave him a railroad pass so that he could get on the railroad and go anywhere in canada and he he liked it he made a special leather case for it he put it around his neck and carried it with him wherever he went for the rest of his life but he never got on A train. Before you laugh at him, which, by the way, some of you did, sometimes we do the same thing. There are promises God gives us in his word that clearly apply to us. We talked about the number of them last week. But the promises that God gives us we can claim. Like a promise to get on any train in Canada and drive anywhere we want to go. But some of you make a nice little leather decoration on your Bible and you keep it in a special place until the next Sunday morning and you find it hopefully, and bring it to church. But the promises you have in there pretty much stay in there. And you do not apply those promises to your life. Now, with our question, there are a number of different ways we could look at it. Okay? We could talk about how Paul tries to point out five key things for, let's say, oh, let's say a pastor to be happy and wise. Or we could go five key ways that a farmer can be happy and wise. Or we could say uh, five key ways to be a happy missionary. Or we could say five key ways to be a happy college student. Or We could, well, you can apply it any way you want. But this is how I put it. There are five key ways that Apostle Paul says to have a successful life. Five keys that he gives in order for you to be successful. And I believe these five points uh, cover chapter four quite possibly, covers chapters 1 through 4. And, and for once, I agree with the monk who divided the, the chapters here. Okay? Because this concludes this portion in Romans. But we need to make sure we know that we are applying and grabbing on to these five things that it is something that we put in to practice in our lives every single day. Now, if we do not, we're not taking advantage of what God gives us to be successful. And if I could be so bold, you're playing games with the promises of God And you're not having the faith that Abraham had in the promises of God. And if you are not having faith in the promises of God, you then are headed towards a future in the lake of fire. So it's kind of important. Agreed? (laughs) Here we go. Romans chapter 4, let's start in verse 25. Now, I apologize to Paul, but I'm going to take it in a different order than he takes the five, okay? I'm going to start it in a very way, a different way than he does. Matter of fact, if you want a good idea of five things to share with a non-believer you meet this week, you can do it in the order I'm going to give you. Okay, here you go. Verse 25, the first part of verse 25. He who was delivered over because of our transgression. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions. What would the Apostle Paul say are the five keys to a successful life? Number one, number one. Okay, I need my clicker. Number one. need to make sure my clicker is on. Number one. Uh, 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 There we go. Number one, Jesus Christ must deal with the wrath of God on the cross for the sins of the world. For your sins. Jesus Christ must deal with the wrath of God on the cross for the sins of the world. You'll also notice that this week I've given you a lot more references to keep note of. Because there's a lot here that is seen a lot everywhere else in the scripture. And, believe it or not, I cut a lot of references out that I could have gone to. But Isaiah 53.12 is an interesting one. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Numbered with the transgressors. This is a prophecy about the future Messiah. This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. This is a prophecy that he will be numbered with the transgressors. He will be delivered over he will be delivered over. Now, the first thing we have to figure out is who's the he? Who delivered Jesus Christ over? Well, there are probably a number of answers to this, but in the context here, it is God the Father. God the Father delivered Jesus Christ over to be numbered with the transgressors so that he could take the wrath of God in your place. Jesus was delivered over. Now, the interesting way how God did this was a number of different ways. You know them. Uh, first off, Jesus was delivered over by Judas to the high priest. Remember that? Then the high priest, the Sanhedrin, delivered him over to Pilate. Remember that? Then the Pilate delivered him over to King Herod. Remember that? Then King Herod delivered delivered Jesus over to Pilate. Herod didn't want anything to do with him. And then Pilate delivered him over to the soldiers that put him on a cross. But at the very beginning of this process, God the Father began the work. He began the work because, as we've seen in chapter 4, good works good moral works will not earn you justification, will not earn you a place in heaven, will not earn you any value at all. So, you need somebody to deal with the wrath of God. And Jesus Christ did it by being delivered over by God the Father so that He could take upon Himself the sins of the world, And so that you could be cleansed. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 32. We're going to be looking at a number of passages here because we only have five answers. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Keep your finger in chapter 4. We're coming right back. Romans chapter 8, drop down to verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us. So in other words, God, the father did not spare his own son, but delivered his son, Jesus Christ over for us all. And that's those that put their faith in Jesus Christ. How will they not also with him freely give us all things? In other words, God, the father delivered over Jesus Christ to pay for the sins of the world. The uh, word delivered over in the Greek actually literally means to commit a criminal to his punishment. To deliver a criminal to his punishment. And God the Father delivered Jesus Christ who knew no sin, did not deserve punishment because he was righteous under the law, perfectly kept the law, but he was delivered over by God the Father to a cross to take your sins. Turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 25. We preached on this a few weeks ago. Well, maybe 15. But you remember the sermon well. You could get up and preach that sermon. Yes, I know. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Notice what it says. Whom God displayed, God the Father, displayed publicly as a propitiation... In his blood through faith. In other words, Jesus Christ had to shed his blood to cover your sin. There had to be a death to cover your sin. Through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness, God the Father's righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. God acted actions judicially so that the wrath of God was dealt with by the death of Jesus Christ. Which, the only other option is, for you to accept the wrath you deserve for your sins. Either Jesus pays the price, or you pay the price. So the first point here, is that God the Father, delivered His Son to pay the the price. Let me point out one last thing here in this phrase. Chapter 4, verse 25. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions. That's a unique word. We haven't had that in the uh, English here in the book of Romans. Literally means false steps. A false step. In other words, you took a wrong step. You made a step that was the wrong direction to go. (sighs) is when they go on vacation, don't take wrong steps. It doesn't matter if we feel like we're going the wrong way. We're going to continue down this way because we started down this way. We're going to go down this way. It's vacation. We will go find out what's at the end of the road. Even if you think we're going the wrong way. A transgression is going the wrong way. Taking the wrong step. Taking the wrong direction that God wants you to take. The way God wants you to take is complete holiness. But what do we do in our sin nature? We take the wrong step. We commit transgressions. The work of Jesus Christ deals with our sinfulness that no good moral work will solve. The work of Jesus Christ has to be accepted on an individual basis so that you can have your wrong steps corrected by the work of Jesus Christ. A sinner must confess his wrong steps and repent of those sins. But if you keep the ticket just in a nice leather case around your neck and never use it, you will never, ever place your trust in Jesus Christ for your sins because you think you're a good person, a good moral person. You do more good things than you do bad. God can't possibly send you for an eternity to a lake of fire because you are so good. When Jesus died on the cross. He died for your sins. The decision is to accept or reject. Accept or reject. Point two. What is the second thing that the Apostle Paul says are keys to a successful life? Look at verse 24, chapter 4. Verse 24, chapter 4. For, at the end of the verse, as those who believe in Him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. What would the Apostle Paul say are five keys to a successful life? Number two, Jesus Christ must be the believer's resurrected Lord. Must be the resurrected Lord resurrected Lord. He was raised. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the key in you being justified, is the key in you being declared righteous, is the key of you having your sins forgiven. Without the resurrection, you would have, and I would have, no hope, because we cannot keep the law perfectly. The resurrection was proof. The sacrifice was accepted by God the Father. Because the resurrection, Jesus Christ offers forgiveness that can be given to anyone who believes in faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 15. Since we only have five points, I've got plenty of time to wait for you to get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And he died for some. He died for two-thirds. He died for most people. What's it say? He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. You get that? The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives you somebody to believe in, somebody to trust in, someone to be your Lord, someone who you can follow after, someone who you can live like, someone To have your allegiance. Jesus Christ must be the believer's resurrected Lord. His resurrection, remember chapter 4? Talked about Abraham. Abraham getting promised that you would have many nations. Gets another promise you have people, descendants like the stars in heaven. All of these promises and he's childless. But the Bible says Abraham believed. Abraham believed. This is like Abraham being reborn so that at a hundred years of age, he could have a child. This is like Jesus being reborn at his resurrection. This is like you and I, when we have place our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, we are born again. Life is different. The resurrection did not make him the Son of God. It decisively declared and revealed in a powerful way that he was and always had been the Son of God. The resurrection was the first installment of the future promise of life for the believer. Jesus Christ died for our transgressions, a full and sufficient payment was made for forgiveness and justification. We are able to be declared righteous because of Jesus Christ, our Lord, being raised from the dead. A couple things there. Notice our Lord, our Lord. Now, if you don't like the word Lord, think master. Okay, Lord or master. Someone who's in control of your life. Lord, Jesus Christ is the one who is able to save you. The one able to justify you. The one able to transfer his righteousness to you. He is the one that allows you to enter into the family of God. He is the one who does the work of grace through your faith in Jesus Christ. Turn to 1 Corinthians, chapter 6. 1 Corinthians, chapter 6. We have plenty of time. You can get there. 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 14. Verse 14, chapter 6, 1 Corinthians. The one thing I have against phone or Palm Pilots, I can't hear your pages turn. 1 Corinthians, chapter 6. Verse fourteen. Notice what it says. Now God has not only raised the Lord. I like that. Doesn't say Jesus, said the Lord, raised the Lord, but will also raise up us through His power. He will also raise us up through His power. Not only did God raise the Lord Jesus Christ but he will also raise all the followers of the Lord. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're on a new team. You have one captain of the team. He's the Lord. He's the master. He's the one that actually can declare what you're to do and not do because he is the one in charge. And he can also raise you up. Because of the resurrection, you have a hope in a future life after death. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. This one you may know by memory. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. So I expect maybe less pages turning to this one. Romans 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus as, what's the word? Lord. And believe in your heart that God has done what? Raised him from the dead. You will be what? Saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, if you claim allegiance to this master, you will be on his team. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And notice he came from the dead. The Greek term literally means to be out of the dead ones. Out of the dead ones. In other words, he was with the dead ones, and he was raised out of the ones that were dead. Jesus Christ was declared dead, like Abraham was declared dead in his childbearing abilities. But that's when God works. One more way that God's going to work in our life is the day we die. And He will do a great work. And He will call you to a new life. The sinner must acknowledge his deadness in sin and recognize he's unable to save himself. And it's the only way to saving faith is by grace alone. Now, If you think that you can do more good things than bad, remember the verse we talked about a few weeks ago, that if you do one bad thing, you're guilty of all. So, if you've ever sinned once in your life, you are in the guilty party. And if you're in the guilty party, that means after you die, there is no resurrection, there's no life, there's no reunion with Jesus Christ. There's only the lake... Of fire. Acts chapter 2, I'll read it. Acts chapter 2 verse 23, the man delivered over it by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God to the cross by the hands of godless people and put him to death. Jesus had to die. He had to shed his blood. He had to cover your sins. He had to die. The work of justice was satisfied by the death of Jesus Christ so that imputation could be given to believers. You had to have a Savior that died. You tired yet? Number three. Number three. <clears throat> what would the Apostle Paul say were the five keys to a successful life? Look at verse Twenty-five, Romans chapter 4, verse 25, the end of verse 25. And was raised because of our justification. And was raised for our justification. In other words, Jesus Christ must be the believer's resurrected source of justification. He has to be the believer's source of a resurrected justification. He had to be resurrected so that you could be justified. If he was not just resurrected, you could not be justified. It would be impossible. You had to have the sacrifice of Jesus Christ accepted by God the Father so you could be justified. Justified, we talked about before, over and over again in chapter 4, that you are declared righteous by the act of the judge. You need A resurrected Lord. You need a resurrected. Aorist tense, point in time, passive. (laughs) He was raised not by himself, but he was raised by God the Father. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is absolutely essential to our justification. Our Our sin shed his blood. Our justification made the resurrection necessary. We sin, Jesus dies. We are justified, and Jesus is resurrected. They go together. The work of Jesus Christ deals with our need for justification that no good moral works could be able to do. Now, the interesting word is justification here. In In the book of Romans, we have justification a number of times. I can't remember how many times. But we have it a number of times, and it's always a verb. It's always a verb. Now, this is the only two times in the New Testament where justification comes in a noun. And it's both in Romans. Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 18, and here in chapter 4. Now I don't want to get emails from people about my grammar here, but there's a difference between verb and noun. Verb and noun. The noun comes to indicate the the process of the work of the verb. So that the noun is, is the result of the action of the verb. Therefore... Justification as a noun is talking about the whole process that's done for you to be declared righteous. The noun is the act of justifying the process over the result. God accepting the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, God is not breaking his own law or going against his own nature, but he accepts the payment of sin by Jesus, and he shows it by the work of Of raising Jesus from the dead. So that he can give you justification. And justification changes your life. Isaiah chapter 53. Which we talked about before. A little bit further down. Verse 11. uh, We see it. And be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one. My servant will justify the many. Will justify the many. Jesus Christ, in His work on the cross, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, will justify many. And justifying many will change your life. Let me go real quick. Five facts that are proven by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First off, the first one, gives proof to the believer that Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God. Romans 1.4 Jesus Christ is God because he was raised from the dead. Number two, gives proof to the believer that the work of atonement and the power of faith. In other words, that you can believe the work Jesus did on the cross and you can place your faith in that belief of that promise of forgiveness. First Corinthians fifteen 17. Third, gives proof to the believer that the work of Jesus Christ for salvation is completed completed. In other words, there's nothing more that needs to be done. It's only through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, shown to be the only thing because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you have everything you need. Four, gives proof to the believer that there's a future resurrection for you. So death is not the end for you. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you have a future resurrection to look forward to. Five, gives proof to the believer that a new life is free from the power of sin because he comes forth from the grave and by God, the work of God the Father makes him Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the master of everything and he's not controlled by anything. He's not tempted by sin. He's not tempted by anything. So that one day when you are resurrected, you will be like that, and the presence and power of sin will be no more. Because you'll be resurrected. You'll be resurrected. Four. Running out of time. Here we go. Four. What would the Apostle Paul say are five keys to a successful life? Look at verse 24, chapter 4. In the middle of the verse. Verse. As those who believe in Him. As those who believe in Him. Number four. By the way, let me go back. Notice the first three answers. All have to do with Jesus Christ doing something. Jesus Christ has to do those three things first before you can do anything or respond to anything. Here's your first one. You, the believer, must put his trust in the work of Of Jesus Christ. The believer must put his trust in the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, If you don't like the word trust, you can put saving faith. Whatever you want to put there, talking about what happens to you when you first heard the gospel message and you turned your trust of your life over to a new master, a new Lord, over to Jesus Christ. When that occurred, the action you took was belief was belief. And the belief there is present tense. So it's not talking about saving faith, it's talking about living faith. Living faith. It's talking about every day waking up and placing your faith in Jesus Christ and doing what your Lord says to do and following His commands of what He says to do. And you believe in His promises. Abraham didn't, didn't hesitate to believe. Abraham was looking forward to the fulfillment of promise of having a son and descendants. Today, believers look back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that answer to that promise to the Messiah, we can say God will guarantee all the promises to us. Why? Because the promise of the life of the Messiah, the death of the Messiah, the resurrection of the Messiah is far greater than Than any promise he gives to us. It'll be easy to fulfill the promises he gives to us in comparison to that. But we believe. Isaiah 28 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Okay, you didn't get that, okay? I didn't see anybody do anything when I said that verse. In California, you understand this verse better. Because in California, sometimes you're awake, sometimes you're asleep, but the house you're in shakes. Sometimes it seems like the top goes this way and the bottom of the house goes that way. Okay, you don't know what I'm talking about. Here you go. That's called an earthquake. We don't have any of those in Kansas. Not like California. When your life shakes, whatever's causing the shaking in your spiritual house. With Jesus Christ as your cornerstone, you don't shake. Nothing can shake you when you place your trust in Jesus Christ. Nothing can shake you. Nothing can shake you. You have a bad day at work. I don't care. That does not shake the cornerstone. Trust the cornerstone. Trust Jesus Christ. Trust Him and His promises. And you will not be shaken. It will not shake you. It will not do anything to you. You will smile and say, praise the Lord. When any hardship occurs, you will not be shaken. Here you go. Here's one pastor. This is what he said. Quote, faith is a total surrender to the ability and willingness of God to carry out his promises. I like that. I found that this week and I said that a couple weeks ago. Anyway. Anyway. Here we go. Another pastor. He said, quote, faith which has nothing more than naked trust in the power of the Creator. Ooh, that's good. I didn't say that two weeks ago. I wish I did. That's good. Faith which has was nothing more than naked trust in the power of the Creator. Biblical faith can only have one object to trust. Only one object to trust. You can't do, you can't trust. Six different things in your life. You can't trust two things in your life. You trust your Savior, your Master, your Lord. Why? Because He has died. He's lived under the law perfectly. He died. He rose again. He's experienced the greatest promise that God's ever given. And God's promises to you will also be given to you. You trust the cornerstone. And you don't don't shake. You're strong. You're strong. You can't trust two things. If you're trusting something else, you're trusting in something you do. You're trusting a good moral work. Stop trusting. Trust only in your Savior. The sinner would not put his confidence in doing more good moral works, but put his confidence in the promise of God. Psalm 78, seven. This is a good one. Psalm 78, seven. That they should put their confidence in God. That is your goal. This week, put your confidence in God. Here we go, number five. Number five. What are five keys to a successful life? What are five keys to being a successful missionary? What are five keys to being a successful businessman? Five keys to be a uh, successful college student. Whatever you are, here it comes. Five, number five verse 22 23 and 24 Romans chapter 4 422 Therefore it was also credited to him as righteousness 23 now not for his sake only was it written that it was given was credited to him 24 but for our sake also to whom it will be credited This is good This is good Number five, the believer must get, be given the righteousness of Jesus Christ by imputation. Now, if you don't like the word imputation, you take, you take whatever word you want. It's the word credited. Credited. <clears throat> I think King James says imputation, right? Okay, good. It, it, is, it is credited, it's a bookkeeping term, it's a correction of balances. It is making something that is not something into something. Okay? It's it's making something that is sinful and declaring it righteous. It is taking what it does not have and giving it a standing that it did not have before righteousness. You are credited with something. You are given something. It's just like Abraham was given something. He was given a promise of nations, through his descendants, when he had no son. He was given promise. And you remember Abraham, he tried to work it out his own way, with his maid. It didn't work. Gave him more problems, and his descendants more problems. And gives Israel problems today. But, you are a sinner. And you are declared righteous by your faith in the work of Jesus Christ. You do that, and you will have your faith tested like Abraham, but you will be found that trusting the promises of God will always, 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 always come true. Always. The righteousness of God is not found naturally in anyone. It has to be imparted to you. It has to be given to you. Justification in the eyes of the judge, the believers held righteous, Therefore, is dealt with as righteous. God the Father declared Abraham righteous, and will declare you righteous. Now, one rabbit trail. Look at verse twenty-three. Verse twenty-three. Now, it's not for his sake only that it was written. In other words, it didn't do Abraham any special thing being written in the Bible about. What's it say? That, that it was credited to him. There was no reason for Abraham to be quoted here or his life story to be in the Bible. Why was Abraham in the Bible? To help us. To help us. Okay. Everybody stick your feet out. This is the time I get to step on your toes. Stick them out. Stick them out. Here you go. I am now going down your row, and I'm stepping on your toes. Here it comes. The average person who goes to church does not read their Bible. The Bible is written for to help you. It is written to help you. Everything in the Bible is written to help you. Now, okay, I'm going I'm to say something, and I'm going to make sure I clarify it. You need to be reading the Bible at least once a year. Okay? Now, I understand, 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 understand that some of you are still in Titus and you've been there for three years. Now, if you're studying each word and studying the grammar, okay, and you're looking at the aorist tenses and everything, okay, fine, but you need to be reading the Bible. You need to make that a priority in your life. Hear me? Romans 4.23. It's not for our sake. It's not for His sake that it's written down in the Bible. It's for our sake. Romans 15.4. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instructions. Okay? Listen, some of you are having difficulties in this life. Some of you are having problems making decisions. Some of you are having problems occurring in your life and you don't know why. You, you may find the, excuse me, may, you will find the answers in the Word of God, but you won't open the book. You're like an Indian chief that gets a pass to a railroad, and you keep it around your neck, but never use it. You need to be reading the Bible more. Every year, I give you a new list of how to read the Bible. Okay. Here you go. Listen, 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 listen. I understand what it means to be overweight. Okay? I understand how to be overweight. I can do it easily. Okay? I can do it easily. Any buffet we have, and I don't out-eat you, it's for your good. Okay? I can do it. Okay? I was good at that. The way you lose weight, if you're overweight, is to stop eating and exercise. The problems you have in your life, whatever they are, they can be handled with a proper reading of God's Word. Because when you exercise your spiritual body, you get stronger. You get what we call discernment. And you can make decisions smarter. More Christ like, more godly. If you need a Bible reading list, it's out on the pulpit back in the back room. And you got plenty of time to complete it before now on December 31st. Okay? Start this afternoon. Okay? Put your feet back under your chair. Verse 24, but for our sake, to whom it will be credited. Two verbs there put back to back. Will be and then credited. It's not for our sake only. Being justified by grace. But it will be credited. In other words, righteousness is imputed to the one who puts his faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The believer's justification is the basis of daily life. In other words, present tense. It will be credited to you. In other words, you can see the righteousness of Christ in your life tomorrow if you claim and hold on to the promises of God. You can live differently. In other words, Jesus Christ takes our sins, He imputes our sins to Himself, And we take his righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He made him who knew no sins be sin on our behalf, so we might become the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness of God in him. We can be righteous. Here you go, application. Will I trust in the work of Jesus Christ daily? In other words, living faith. Will I daily trust in my living faith That Jesus Christ is my master and Lord. So that others can see the righteousness of God through, how? My words and my actions. So that people can see that I have a master, a Lord that I follow. And he changes how I speak and he changes how I act. That I act and I change differently because I want to be righteous like Jesus Christ promises I can be. Jesus Christ gives me a Holy Spirit to help me, empower me to do it. He gave me a sacrifice on the cross. He gives me a God the Father that loves me. I can be different by the work of Jesus Christ. Abraham was justified because of his faith in God, not because of his works. If you try to do things, you will not earn justification. You have to believe the promises of God. long time ago. When you travel by wagon uh, wagon trains. Wagon trains, you know what I mean. What? Wagon train. Wagon train. Right? Yeah, covered wagon. When you're traveling by covered wagon. Golly. Long time ago, this traveler came to the Mississippi River. He couldn't find a bridge to get over the river. He had to get over the river and all the river was in the wintertime, there's ice on the river, he was sitting there worried about falling through the river. So he literally, literally crawled across the river on the ice because he was afraid that the ice was going to break and he's going to die. He's crawling across the river, the ice river. And he's halfway there, and he thinks that he's going to make it. He thinks, I'm going to make it. I'm going to do good. I'm going to make it. And all of a sudden, he starts hearing this noise from behind him. And he realizes, and he turns around, and he sees this, this wagon coming with four horses in front, full of coal in the wagon. And the guy's singing as he's driving his horses across the river and the ice. The guy in the wagon knew the ice would hold him up. Because he'd been over the river before. The traveler had no clue, and he's crawling on his belly to try to get over the river. Now, who had faith in the ice holding him up? The guy that was singing with the coal in his wagon, the four horses. He believed. The other guy was scared to death. And there are two types of people in this world today. Those people crawling on their belly, scared to death of what's going to happen tomorrow. And then there are believers, that are singing on their wagon because they know God's going to take care of them. And they know it because of the work of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they know whose team they're on. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity in your word. I pray, Father, you would encourage us and help us this week to live out the example that we learned in chapter 4 of Abraham. I pray, Father, that we would have faith like Abraham, that we would trust the promises of God like Abraham. And then, Father, help us to understand how we are justified through faith like Abraham and declared righteous. Thank you, Father, for being so good to us. You are so gracious, so great, so merciful. We thank you, Father, for loving us. We'll praise you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.